Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, it's good to be together, isn't it? To to gather as the church, to worship together. Um, We've we've been in the book of Galatians for a while now. We've been in chapter 3 for a very long time, and now we've finally gotten to chapter 4. So what, what we like to do is... You know, take small portions of scripture and really look into it because I think it's really important for us. We were talking about this uh, at Sunday school class that uh, we want to understand, we want to glean from the scriptures. We don't want to read our own meaning and ideas into the, into the Bible, into the scriptures. We want to extract the meaning, the original intent of the author to the audience. And also, it's not just a, a, um, a human author that's behind the scriptures, but we know that God is ultimately the author of it all, right? And he has something for us. But we really need to dive into the scriptures and, and really draw that out. And so that's why we're going slowly through the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you take a step back and you look at the whole book or the whole letter of Galatians, This is basically what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in freedom with the spirit. Okay. Return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in freedom with the spirit. So that's what's going on here. And he's saying this in some strong language because there's something that's going on with the Galatians. Basically, and um, we're going to go through this like a review, okay? Because we've been diving into these details. Let's get a kind of a bird's eye view. So here's, here's a structure. Here's a, um, an outline of what we've covered. I know there's a lot, but hopefully this will help you. Think of this as two paths, okay? Two paths. And, and Paul is saying there's the gospel, And then there's this false gospel, and you have abandoned the gospel. You've gone off that path, and now you've gone to this false gospel. So that's the problem. And Paul is kind of like, he's probably on this path yelling over to them, what were you thinking? Why are you over there? Don't you know that you need to be here? You need to be on this path. Why did you abandon this path? for that path. And so that's the beginning of Galatians, verses 6 through 10. Is Listen, you abandon the gospel, and then he starts to describe, and he makes these distinctions between these two paths, the gospel or the false gospel. I am so sorry that you guys are on the side of the false gospel. I apologize for that. Just bear with me. It's just an analogy. Um, so he, he goes on and he says, listen, the gospel that I've preached to you when I originally came to you and, and, and you got onto the path and we were here together, that gospel that I preached 
came from God. This one came from man. This one came from God. Let me tell you how I know this. And then he starts to explain and try to um, convince them for the reasons why this is from God and not man. Then he continues on and says, now, listen, let me remind you of what the gospel is. It's from God, not man. This is what the gospel is. It's justification by faith alone. That is how you are justified. That's how you're made right in the eyes of God. And friends, that is good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Okay? And then he continues on and says, listen, not only that, but the ministry of the Spirit comes by hearing with faith. So justification by faith. And how do we know that we're justified? Because when you're walking down that path of faith, the Spirit came. Right? The Spirit came. How, and so he asks this question in the text. He says, how did you receive the Spirit? You have the Spirit. You know you had the Spirit. How did you receive it? Was it by law over here? Or was it by faith? And so they knew, right? They experienced it. They were like, oh, it was by faith. And so then he's reasoning out, well, if you receive the Spirit by faith, don't you think that if you continue on, the Spirit will continue to work? What makes you think that if you change paths, that the Spirit's going to work through law? Why would you do that? What, what makes you think that just changing paths, that, this, that the Spirit's going to work and continue to work? He was working on this path. Continue on it. Okay? So he, he, he talks through that. Then he says, this is uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, justification by faith has been God's plan all along. So this plan of justification by faith, he, this was his plan. So why are you going to a different one? And then it continues on. This time now, he starts to unpack about the law. He said, so... So what is he doing here? Why does he keep going back and forth? Well, he's, he's trying to get them somewhere, isn't he? He's trying to urge them. He's trying to convince them. Because the, the, the path that they're on is a dangerous path. And he sees it. He says, if you continue going down this path, let me tell you what's going to happen. So look, Galatians 10, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. The law brings a curse. That's what the law brings. If you keep on that path, a curse is going to come. This path brings blessing. Okay? And then last week, not only does it bring a curse, but it enslaves. The law enslaves while faith in Christ makes us children of God. So that's what he's unpacking for us. That's what he's describing. He's, he's trying to convince the Galatians to get off this false path because it's dangerous. It leads to bad things compared to the gospel justification by faith and, and what we receive on that path. So he's going back and forth. He's making these comparisons and he's trying to urge them and convince them to come back to the gospel. All right. 
So last week, let me unpack for you a little bit more about last week, because last week um, really connects with this week, okay? So last week, as we look through verses 15 through 29, Paul explains that the law did not void out the promises that was given to Abraham, okay? So he's saying, hey, listen, this law, this path that you're given, it doesn't, it's not any better, or it didn't wipe out this path, okay? It didn't void it out. This was God's plan all along, and, and this part of the plan doesn't nullify this part. So why are you going to that instead of this, right? So that's about the law. He's talking about the law there. So when he says that, they're like, well, wait a minute. That's what we thought, though. We thought, we thought this was the way, but you're saying this is the way. So why this? Why the law then? Why the law? And Paul says it's because of our transgressions. So let me explain to you what he means by that. Um, so let, I have five children, um, and one of them, the youngest, uh, so, so as they grew up, there were different rules that we had to give to the children, okay? When the fifth one came, so, you know, we had several rules, but when the fifth one came, we had to adjust those rules or add to those rules considerably, okay? When, and this is when he was really young, so about a year and a half, okay? When he was about a year and a half to two years old, there were some rules that we had to, that we never had to put into place. One of them is do not touch a writing utensil, do not touch. Don't even touch it, okay? And so what we had to do was we had to hide all the, all the pens and pencils and markers. We had to hide them. Like, that was the rule. Like, if there is a pen out or a pencil, it, we, had to, we had to hide it somewhere. And the, the, the amazing thing is this kid had a nose for it. It's not just that he, he could see them, but he could smell them out. Because we think we had every writing utensil, and we would be like, okay, uh, this room is clear. Okay, go to the next room. <laughs> clear. Like, and then all of a sudden, he would walk in and be like, stick his hand underneath the cushion, pull out a pen. It's like, how did you find that? Anyways, rule number one, no pens, no pencils. Rule number two, this is a new rule. New rule. We have to keep lotion out of the hands of our two-year-old. Lotion with the two-year-old, bad. Okay? Uh, because lotion would get all over the place. So here's the point. We never had those rules before. We never had to make those rules. Why? Because our previous children never did anything wrong with pens or pencils or lotion. So we didn't have to have rules. But once the transgression came, oh, new rule. Does that make sense? We do this all the time. Um, I was going to show you a picture of um, all these uh, warning symbols, all, all these warning signs on these different products we have. And some of them are pretty funny. Like uh, a stroller, it says, do not fold the stroller when the child's in it. Why in the world would they have a rule like that? Because somebody tried to fold the stroller with the kid in it, right? And so that's why the law came, because of transgressions, because we are sinners. 
because we're sinners and we go off on our way and we do these, these things that are harmful, harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. And so God comes in and says, boundaries, don't do that. Hey, here's a great example of that. Uh, the very first, uh, after the, the fruit, right? After eating the fruit, the next sin was murder. It's pretty big, right? There wasn't a law before that. He didn't say, oh, by the way, Adam and Eve, as we continue on in this, in this plan of mine, don't murder. No, no, Cain murdered Abel, and then it continues on. And when God restarts with, with uh, Noah, right, he gives the commands again, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, just like he did with Adam and Eve. But then he added one more rule. You know what it was? Don't murder. I shouldn't have to say it, but... There you go. There's the rule. There's the law. You know why? Because you guys can't get that straight, right? So that's why the law came. It was because of transgressions. It was in order to restrain evil, to hold back evil. Now, it's not going to hold it back all the time, right? But that's the purpose of it. It's setting boundaries to restrain evil. So look at the words uh, that Paul uses um, describing restraint. He says we were captive under the law, okay? That we were imprisoned. The law is described as a guardian until when? Until Jesus comes and frees us. And therefore now we are sons of God through faith. So that's, that was a long, I'm sorry, that was a long explanation of last week, but I think that's helpful for us for this week, because he's explaining these things. He's question, he, these Galatians have this question about what the law is truly about. And so he's explaining, and I guess I think we have those questions as well. Like, why, why then the law? So anyways, that brings us to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. This is huge. This was from last week. But this is a very important verse for us this week. This is what it says. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. And then he uses this phrase to describe what he means by Abraham's offspring. You are what? Heirs. Heirs according to promise. So this is what Paul is going to unpack for us in our passage this morning. Because this is a new thing that he's talking about. This probably perked the Galatians' ears, where they were like, wait a minute. So if we're Christ, then we're Abraham's offspring and our heirs? Heirs according to the promise? What, what in the world does that mean? What, Paul, what are you talking about? This is what he's going to talk about here in our passage. So let's read that together. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, right? So now he's describing this. I mean that an, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this passage, Lord, I just pray that you would speak. Um, may, it not be, <clears throat> may it not be my words, my opinions, but it may, may it be the word of God that reaches our ears and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's start with verse one. Uh, we'll go through. I'll read this again. Verses one through three. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set before him. And so here he's using an example. So what, what he was talking about before, this heir according to the promise, he's thinking to himself, you know what? The Galatians may not understand what I'm talking about here. Let me use an example that they would be able to understand in their culture right? In everyday life, this idea of being an heir. And before they receive the inheritance, how that works. And this is kind of hard for us to think about today because the cultures are very different from 2,000 years ago in the Middle East compared to Western civilization in 2021, 22. Is it 22 finally? Whew. Okay. So it's very different. So when we think of a guardian, Right? If, if like an heir and, and there's a guardian over us, or maybe another word would be a tutor, we think of, or a manager, you know, we think of it like in, in a business, you know, there's managers over us. Well, we pay the managers, okay? And there's a boss over them and, and then you have employees and, and there's certain things that they can tell us to do and not to do and, and all that kind of stuff. Or a tutor, we pay a tutor to help us with math, especially for me, math. Um, sometimes English, unfortunately. Sorry about that. But uh, we, need, we need these, and, and we pay them, and they're, they're, they serve a purpose. In that time, it was a little bit different. In that time, someone who was under a guardian was treated, and the, our passage talks about it, they were treated like a slave, meaning they had no rights. They were considered properly property. They were under the authority of the guardian. And so the child was in servitude of that guardian. And if they were disobedient or didn't live up to the guardian's standards or expectations, there were harsh consequences. So it's not like a tutor, you know, that you hire and help me with math. You get a wrong question and they slap your hand, right? Like you can just be like, you're fired. No, no, no. You can't fire this guardian they're over you, they have all the power and authority, and you are serving them. And this is how he's describing the law, that we were enslaved to or constrained by the law. Uh, verse 3 is telling us this, right? He's saying, okay, that's the example, here it is. In the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All right, what in the world does that phrase mean? Elementary principles of the world. 
So I think it refers basically to this rudimentary moral rules that we, we establish for ourselves. Now, this, can, this does include the law, right? The law of Moses. But I think it even extends out of that even, or, or other than that. So the Jews had the law, but guess what? As Gentiles, we didn't have the law. But what do we do? We make a law unto ourselves. You see, even though we didn't have the law of Moses as Gentiles, we still see where we sin and harm others and where they're suffering because of our actions. And so what do we do? We create our own laws and therefore we must follow them. And so this is the picture of what he's saying here. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I think this is a, a proper example. Um, yeah, so you have, I'm trying not to name names, but I have two children with two different personalities. One of them um, is just a very task-oriented doer, right? So they get up early in the morning. I know you know who it is. <laughs> get up in the morning, and the first thing they do is they do their homework, right? Boom. The other one, it takes them about 45 minutes to an hour just to get out of bed, okay? So there's, there's these differences in personality. Now, when it comes to their room, and so this is, let me, let me clarify. This is just an example. This does not actually happen, okay, in our room, in our house. But, it, well, it happens in different ways. But this one doesn't happen in this way, but um, just bear with me here. So cleaning your room, one of them is very orderly and, and needs it. They, they love order, so their room is clean. The other one doesn't care so much. So when we come in, one of them, let's say they're both dirty. One of them will be like, oh, you know your room's dirty. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Got it. I don't even have to tell them. All I had to do was just point it out. The other one, you know your room's is dirty, right? Yeah. Are you going to do anything about it? I don't know. Okay. So, so we, we desire the rooms to be clean. So now it's, okay, well, you need to clean your room. Okay. An hour later, you haven't cleaned your room yet. Okay. So now you need to have your room cleaned by 10 a.m. Boom. Rule. Okay. We go back at 10 a.m. It's not clean. Hey, it's not clean. What do you mean it's not clean? You have socks laying around all over your floor. But I cleaned everything else. Okay, new rule, including socks. Go in again. Wait a minute, I told you to clean your room. It is clean, but you didn't make your bed. Well, that's not cleaning your room. No, no, okay, clean your room. Do you understand what I'm saying here? There's, there's one that has a heart for cleanliness and order. Okay, and I'm not saying that's, and, and the other one doesn't. I'm not saying that it's bad, but what I'm saying is, is there is a difference. There, there's one that has a heart for it. The other one, it's a chore. It's like, it, it's against every, it's, it's against their nature. Okay, 
And so what happens to the one where it's against their nature? You have to start making rules. And guess what? Then you have to enforce those rules. And if they don't follow those rules, then they're punished. Who's the one enslaved? This is the point that he's talking about here. When it comes to these elementary principles, is that we, we do these things, it's, it's um, in our nature to do these things that harm others, that of sin. And therefore, we have to be under these boundaries, these guardians. And guess what? We find ways to get around them. We find the loopholes and we jump through them. And guess what? More laws are added. More rules are added. compared to the other one, right? That has a heart, and I'm not for cleanliness, but has a heart for God, because this is, that's just an illustration. That's, a, that's an analogy of something that's true here, is that when you have a heart for God, you don't need those rules. You don't need those laws, because by your nature, you're going to do them. You see the difference? And so we were, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I think that's what he's talking about there. These laws or these rules. So this is the picture of how the law affects us. The law is our taskmaster over us, a guardian in that way. And it enslaves us. We're trapped in it. Okay, here's the contrast. Verse 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we were enslaved, we were under the law, and there was no way we can set ourselves free. But then, at the right time, it says, right? At the right, perfect time, God acted. God initiated. And what did he do? He sent his son. He sent his son on a mission. There's a reason why he sent his son, which we're going to get to in these verses. But think of it as a mission. Okay, have you guys like, watched a movie like Mission Impossible? right? And so they put in the tape or the CD or whatever, and psh, this is your mission if you choose to accept. Here it is, and it goes through the mission of what you must do. And uh, usually it has something to do with you have to, so think of it, um, this is what I imagine it like. Think of it as there's these prisoners, and you have to set them free. But it's under this jurisdiction of these evil people, these captives, right? And so what do you do? Well, you have to, you have to become like one. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the law so that they imprison me. So I become a prisoner. And while I'm in prison, I'm going to set the captives free. Right? That's the mission. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Look at verse 4 again. He sent forth his son. And look at these phrases, born of a woman and born under the law. You see, Jesus put on flesh. He became one of us. 
and he infiltrated the jurisdiction of the law. He went in, he, he went into under the jurisdiction of the law. So he became us and he under our captives as well, or our captors. That's what he did. You see, in order for us to be redeemed, Jesus had to be our perfect representative. He had to be fully human. He had to be fully man and also be under the same requirements that we had to be under. So he went under the law also. So let me give you an example. Um, This is back in Deuteronomy. Um, We talked about this a couple of weeks ago um, where uh, Moses, before he gives the law, he says, okay, I'm going to give you these laws and if you don't do them, there's going to be troubles. We are required to do these laws. Do you understand? Yes, we understand. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, here they are. And so he starts listing all these laws. This is Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter seven where this starts. Somewhere around chapter seven. And then he goes through all these laws until we get to chapter like 26. So it's like 15 or 16 chapters of laws that they are to do. And then he says again, now remember, you are to do all of them. If you don't do all of them, there's going to be a curse. Okay? So he gives these, um, these laws, and then he gives these warnings. And I want to look at Deuteronomy 26, verse 16. He's going to say it in a different way, but he says it in such a drastic way. He says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful, be careful to do them with what? Oh boy, here it is. This, this is like, this is, this is a whack right across the head. This, I mean, this is a surprise. With all your heart and with all your soul. Whoa. 15 chapters of rules, and you are to do them with all your heart and soul. Listen, the law, the expectation that we have to clear in order to be made righteous in the eyes of God is so high, there is no way we can clear it. But guess who can? One that can perfectly represent us as a human but it's also divine that it can actually follow every single one of those laws because it's, it's who he is. Friends, that's Jesus, the son of God who took on flesh under the law. You know why he went under the law in order to fulfill it. Matthew chapter five, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says this, this is the audaciousness of Jesus to say this. If he was not God, the audaciousness to say this phrase, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Whoa. To follow every single one of those laws with all his heart and soul. Jesus was able to accomplish that. And he accomplished it for us so that we can be adopted as the sons and daughters of God. So think about that. 
God doesn't just free us and then kind of let us go roam around. Okay, you're free. Go ahead. Good luck. He doesn't do that. He accomplished accomplished this for us to make us his sons and daughters. He brings us into his family, not as a servant, not as a slave, not as an employee or even a house guest, but a son and daughter. And all the privileges that come with being a child of God. So let's look at those. This is the inheritance, by the way, right? You are heirs according to the promise. Okay, Paul, what what are you meaning here? Okay, here it is. Look at verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, what he is explaining here and what he's, this is huge. So think back um, previously at the beginning of chapter three. Before that, he's talking about justification by faith. And then he says this, he says, let me ask you one question. And here's the, he asks five, but here's the big question. The question is, how did, how did you receive the spirit? How did you receive the spirit of God? That God, the spirit of God indwells in you. How did you receive that? Well, it was by faith. So he's talking about the spirit there. Wow. He's coming back to the spirit here, Right? Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into where? Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is unbelievable. How in the world, how in the world can we receive the spirit of God within us? That God would actually abide in us. That is unbelievable. Think about it this way. If you go back to the Old Testament, how did they interact with God back then? During the time of Moses and the prophets, they had a tabernacle or a temple. And the requirements were the high priest would have to come in. Like, for example, the Day of Atonement. He would have to come in and he would have to sacrifice animals and he'd have to do all these rituals and go in. And there's even a point where he's got to uh, burn incense and it's got to fill the room lest he dies. That's, that's the phrase. It's almost like there has to be a veil over him because of his unrighteousness and his uncleanliness that there needs to be this veil over him because as he comes into this pure, holy temple, he is going to die. And he makes sacrifices for the people and their unrighteousness as well just so that they can come near God. They can, they can walk around or, or look through the doorway of the temple just to be near him. It's because of their impurity and unrighteousness. How in the world then, with our sin and our depravity, that God can, can, can dwell with us? This is how. This is a promise from Leviticus chapter 26. He says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not 
abhor you and I will walk among you and will bear your and will be your God and you shall be my people. So how does he does do this? Well, Jesus had to come. He had to live a perfect life. And then he was the sacrifice for our sins so that we may be cleansed, so that we may be seen right in the eyes of God. Therefore, the temple, because of the blood of Christ, the temple which is our body, is now made pure in order for God to reside in us. Unbelievable. That is why Jesus came. It is to redeem a people, to purify a people in order that God can reside in us. So let me ask you this. Because this truth that God resides in us, this is an invitation that we can commune with our heavenly father, our creator. So whatever we are doing, wherever we go, God resides in us. When we put our heads on the pillow, when we get out of bed in the morning, God resides with us. So the question is this, do we recognize it? Do we recognize that truth throughout our day? Whether we're walking out of this building, getting into our cars, when we're at home, when we're at work, wherever we go, God resides in you. So let me ask you, how would your perspective change concerning this life with all the chaos around it, with all the, with all the difficulties, with all the trials, with all the sufferings that we experience? How will our perspective change knowing that God resides in us? Let me ask you another question. How would our perspective change? How would our lives change? The way that we think, the way that we act, how would it change if we knew that not only does he reside in us, but he has given us an inheritance? An inheritance. Let me describe for you what this inheritance is like. This comes from 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Think of, think of the thing that is imperishable. A car. Let's, let's think about a car for a minute. A vehicle. What would you pay for a vehicle that never rusts? Especially in Michigan, right? A vehicle that will never rust, that will never break down. Wouldn't that be invaluable compared to what we experience here with our vehicles? That something that lasts forever, that is invaluable. It is the greatest treasure. And God is saying, that's your inheritance. So how would we live? 
How do we, uh, how does our perspective change knowing that the Holy Spirit resides in us and that we have this imperishable inheritance kept in heaven? With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can gather, that we can be challenged by your word. Lord, there's two paths that it looks like Paul's making a distinction here, two paths. We can walk down this path where we're trying to, with, with human effort and with rules and laws to, to try to please you, to make ourselves righteous before your eyes. Lord, we know from scripture that that, that only leads to enslavement, to curse, to death. Lord, there's another way. It is the gospel of good news and it is faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And through faith, Lord, you have adopted us as sons and daughters and you have given us the Holy Spirit and you have given us an inheritance. Lord, help us to live in that truth every single day. Remind us of it. And may it come out in ways that will be glorifying to you, that gives you honor, where others can see, where other people can see that you are truly God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Heinlein's Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerheinlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.